God is in the business of making our small big. But if we're not filled with the Spirit of God, we'll look at our small and we'll despise it. And we'll think that it's not enough. Because technically, if we do the math, it isn't. But it is enough for our God to use. I got saved in an old-fashioned gospel preaching church uh, with music just like yours. It's a blessing to hear. You guys, I know you work on it a lot, and it's, it's, a, it's a blessing. Um, there's lots of different uh, things out there that you could go to on a Sunday morning. Uh, lots of different uh, entertainment type shows and that type of thing where everyone just gets up and it's uh, uh, mostly just all music and so on and so forth. Um, but uh, I appreciate this church's stance on um, having music that has a message. <laughs> that you can understand all the words when you're singing them. <laughs> that it, the, 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 it's not the the, the notes and the emotion behind the music that we want to move us, it's the truth behind the music that we want to move us. Uh, and that's going to move us in the right direction. Um, and and I, so I appreciate that, and that was a great blessing. We've already read uh, uh, the scriptures here. Let me just give you a couple of uh, insights, I hope, uh, uh, about what the Bible says here. Um, Zechariah, in uh, Hebrew, if, if you said, Huzocher, uh, uh, that's, uh, he remembers. He zocheret, that's she remembers. Anachnu sochrim, that's we remember. Zachariah means the Lord remembers. And the Lord never forgets his promises. He never misses one of them. He never, he never, uh, and Zechariah is a book that's supposed to be encouraging us. Um, it's supposed to be a book that was encouraging uh, the exiles uh, coming back from Babylon. Now, the history of this passage here, uh, what was happening was is that um, God had punished the nation of Israel uh, for their consistent idol worship over hundreds and hundreds of years, and he had sent them to exile in Babylon. He told them when he sent them in exile to Babylon to build houses, to give away your children in marriage, and so on and so forth. Live your life, accept this punishment, but there's going to be a time where I'm going to want you to come back uh, to, to, to Israel uh, to rebuild it. Um, he told Isaiah the name of the king uh, who was going to be ruling the Mendo-Persian Empire, uh, Cyrus, and he, and he told Zechariah like 170 years before uh, what, what his name was going to be, and so on and so forth. So the, the nation of Israel, they were supposed to um, start businesses. They were supposed to do things there in, 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 the, in the land of Babylon. But they were never supposed to get too comfortable there. When they went to Babylon, lots of things happened to the nation of Israel. Uh, one of these things was they kind of changed a great deal from, they, they used to be a very agrarian-based society. Uh, an Israeli uh, kid would uh, uh, dream about some, someday taking over his dad's farm and so on and so forth, and that was, their, that was where their aspirations were and so on and so forth. But when they were taken from uh, Israel into Babylon, they had no land there, and so they had to make ends meet, and, and so many of them started uh, doing business and, and opening stores and, and doing that kind of stuff. Um, and Babylon was one of the most powerful empires the world has ever seen. 
And so when they went there and they started doing business, a lot of them became very, very successful at it. Uh, and so we see uh, different instances of this. For example, uh, in, in Haggai uh, in chapter 1. Now Haggai is, is a prophet who preached at the same time about as Zechariah. And Haggai was a lot more of an exhortative uh, uh, prophet than, than Zechariah was. Zechariah was trying to show us the promises of God. He was trying to remind us of what God had promised the nation of Israel and so on and so forth. Uh, there, there's more prophecy about the Messiah in chapters 9 uh, through the end of the book. Uh, it's one of the most concentrated places of just prophecy about the Messiah. But Haggai was confronting them with some of their sins. And we know what some of their sins was because Haggai mentioned them. And, and, and it, was, it was very clear. They were living for themselves. They were building their own houses and not building the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord was in disrepair and so on and so forth. And they were uh, com com completely consumed with just taking care of themselves. God even allowed a famine to happen in the land uh, during this time uh, because he wanted to, uh, again, chasten the hearts of, of the Israelites to get them to understand what is the most important thing in life. So... That was going on. That was, that was the nature of the people who were, who were coming back. Many of them didn't come back. A lot of them stayed in Babylon. They became so successful and, and, and rich and so on and so forth. There are other things that changed in, in the nation of, of Israel as they were in, in Babylon. Uh, the Babylonian Talmud uh, was written. And if you, if you know anything about Judaism and so on and so forth, the Babylonian Talmud is, is like the basis for rabbinical Judaism. Uh, it, 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 it's one of their most revered books. They will read that way more often than they'll read the Torah even, which we would consider uh, to be, uh, well, the Tanakh is the whole Old Testament, the Ketuvim and the Nevim, and the, so the prophets and the, and the writings and so on and so forth. But they will, they will read uh, the, the, um, the Talmud, uh, the Babylonian Talmud. So we have this time frame where they never worshipped straight-up idols after they came out of the nation of Babylon, but they still had been greatly changed by the nation of Babylon, okay? They still had been greatly affected by the nation of Babylon, and some of them never left Babylon, and those who did leave Babylon, not all of them were living for God. Not all of them were excited about rebuilding uh, an entire society. This passage in Scripture that we read today uh, was to a specific person. There were two main characters to which uh, Zechariah was charged with giving prophecy to. One of those guys was Joshua. He was the high priest. And the other guy was Zerubbabel. And uh, uh, Zerubbabel, the uh, foundation of his word, Zerubbabel, uh, comes from the name Babylon. It, when you want to try to figure out what uh, is being said in Hebrew, you need to go to the consonants because that has all the meaning there and so on and so forth. And uh, so, but Zerubbabel, he is the governor. And he was in charge. He was, now we, we know Nehemiah, he was, he was charged by God to rebuild the wall. And we know that Ezra, he's going to be charged by God to rebuild the temple. Zerubbabel is in charge of those things also, but then everything else. Imagine that... We had a situation here uh, in, 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 uh, in, in, in Surrey, Canada, where uh, most of the buildings, let's say 70% of all the buildings have been destroyed. Let's say that this church sanctuary has been leveled. No roof, no anything, no two bricks on top of each other. 
And, and it was our job to come to this society and rebuild it to its uh, former glory. That would be a huge undertaking. Surrey was not built in a generation. It wasn't built in a hundred years. It, was, it, it, took, it took even longer uh, to, to, to build Surrey up to the place that it is right now. But this was the goal, this was the thing that uh, the Lord laid before Zerubbabel. He says, Zerubbabel, you're a governor, you're the head politician in charge of all these things, and we've got guys rebuilding this and that and the other thing, but you are in charge of the overall everything of it, and I need you to do this monumental job. The Bible declares here in, uh, in, in, in verse 7, it says, Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? God compares the job that he has given to Zerubbabel to moving a mountain. Now, of course, this isn't the last time that we'll ever hear about uh, God telling us to move mountains. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence from yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Moving a mountain is a gigantic job. I've often given the illustration, I don't know if, if, how many of us have been uh, to Seattle from this group or whatever. Uh, I've only been there a couple times. I remember flying into there and flying out of there. And uh, Seattle's kind of like here, it's, it's, it's cloudy a lot and so on and so forth. But there is a gigantic, huge mountain right next to Seattle called Mount Rainier. And uh, I don't know if for some reason the nation of America decided... I think we need to move Mount Rainier from here to someplace else. I'm not sure we could do it. The nations nowadays are very, very powerful. We have more technology than we've ever had before. We have uh, more things to be able to do this type of work for us and, and so on and so forth. But if you just think about the economic uh, uh, outlays of what it would take to move that mountain, it would be huge. That's the kind of job facing Zerubbabel. He has a mountain-moving job. The Bible says here, before, before we get to the, uh, to the mountain part, the Bible says here, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. God says here, he says, not by might. That word might means military might. Okay? When when Solomon was building the first temple, when, 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 uh, he was standing on the soldier, uh, shoulders of other men. David, his father, uh, spent his entire life um, uh, being used to chasing other nations around him and so on and so forth because God had said, I'm going to you know, use you as a chastening hand and, and so on and so forth. And, um, uh, but when he would go in and, and, and chase those other nations and take them over and so on and so forth, um, he would, uh, he would uh, accumulate a whole lot of uh, 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 booty and so on and so forth from, 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 from doing wars. And so David, he wanted to build the temple himself. God did not allow him to do it. And so David, his whole life, he spent getting stuff together in order to give it to his son Solomon so that he could do a great job at building the temple. 
Zerubbabel had none of these things. Zerubbabel didn't have an army. He didn't even have a real nation who was completely and totally autonomous and, and so on and so forth. And he had a small band of people who were coming back from Babylon. And he had not just the task of building a temple, but he had the task of rebuilding the whole society. We as Christians have a monumental goal that God has given to us. God had told Zerubbabel to rebuild a kingdom. God has given us the job today of building a heavenly kingdom. And as we build this heavenly kingdom, as God builds this heavenly kingdom through us, we have to realize that this job is way bigger than the job that God gave to Zerubbabel, that God compares to moving a mountain, is not nearly as big as the job that God has given to us to preach the gospel to every creature, to teach all nations. This is a huge, gigantic, monumental task. If I could, if I could get all of Russia, I could never do this, of course, but if I could get all of Russia just to stand in front of me, just we're all out on the field and we're all standing in front of me, and every one of them is going to come up to me and shake my hand, and when you shake my hand, I'll tell them something like, Jesus saves. And let's say that takes a second to do, okay? So I can use one second to tell each person, I can say, Jesus saves. And then I can go on to the next one and say, Jesus saves. And I can go on to the next one and say, Jesus saves. And I can do that <coughs> day in, day out, with no sleep, no food, no rest. And I can do that until I'm 80. It still wouldn't be enough. If I could take the majority of this church with me and you all did the same thing, it still wouldn't be enough. Of course, it takes a lot more than that to explain the gospel to somebody. And that's just one country. Forget countries like India or China, where there's like 10 times more people. The, the goal that God has given us, it's huge. It's gigantic. It's something that we in ourselves could never do. But God says, it's not by might. It's not by power. But by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. God says you don't need an army. God says you don't need your personal ability. God says you need my spirit. Okay, so we've got God's spirit. Let, 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 let's go further on. What else does it say here? The Bible says, it says, Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, that thou shalt become a plain? And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. God doesn't just want us to begin the process of evangelizing the world. He doesn't want Zerubbabel just to begin the process of rebuilding the society. 
The Bible says here, and his hands shall finish it. God wanted Zerubbabel to finish the job. He gave him a mountain-moving task, a task that in and of himself he could never do. And he wanted him not just to try. He wanted him to finish. And friends, today, God does not just want us to try to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants us to finish it. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. So we've got God's spirit. We've got the command of God. And we've got the plan of God that he wants us to finish it. Then why so many times we don't? Why so many times we don't finish the job that God has given us? He's given us his spirit. He's told us, uh, just like Zerubbabel started, Zerubbabel can finish it. It is a mountain-moving task, but God says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. So why don't we finish? I think the secret to this, partially, not the whole secret, but, the, but a big part of this, and the thing that's mentioned in the Bible today The Bible says, for who hath despised the day of small things? I don't have time uh, to read the entire parable uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 25, uh, and it starts in uh, verse 14, but a lot of us know it, and I'll explain it to you, and this will be faster. Um, The parable of the talents. The Lord of the house, this is a story that Jesus tells uh, to people. Um, the, uh, the parable of the talents, it, it goes like this. There's a Lord of the house, and he's got to go away to a faraway country. And so he gives some of his stuff to some of his servants, okay? There's one guy, and he gives it according to his several ability, okay? So he gives one guy, he gives him five talents. He gives to another guy two talents, and he gives to another guy one talent. And this talent is, uh, it, it's, it sounds like we were speaking about our singing ability or something like that, but it's just money, okay? This is what we're talking about. These talents are just money, okay? So he gives different people different amounts of money. The five-talent guy, he goes out into the world, and he takes all of those five talents, every one of those five talents, and he uses them for the work of God, and he invests them, and he comes back with five more talents, okay? The two-talent guy does the same exact thing. He takes the two talents that the Lord of the house gives him, and he comes back with two more talents, so you have a total of four talents with the two-talent guy, and you have a total of ten talents with the five-talent guy. One-talent guy takes what is given him, and instead of using it for his glory, he buries it. Now, The Lord comes back of the house, who is obviously the type of, you know, uh, the Lord. Uh, he comes back, and he goes to the five-talent guy, and the five-talent guy says, okay, you gave me five talents, here are five more talents. And the Lord of the house says unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little, uh, I will make you rule over much. Uh, enter into the joy of the Lord. So the five-talent guy gets the reward of the Lord, saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, the two-talent guy, he didn't bring as much back. He was not as profitable as the five-talent guy. 
But the Lord of the house said, If you were in a word processing program on your computer and you cut and paste, the things that the Lord said to the five-talent guy are the same exact things that the Lord says to the two-talent guy. He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So the message here is not how much, it's not important how much God has given us. It is important with how faithful we are with what God has given us. God might give you a lot. He might give you a little. He does not expect from the person who he gave one talent, he doesn't expect to get ten talents from that guy. But he does expect that guy to use all of it. The five-talent guy didn't bring back four or three or two or one. He brought back five more. He used all of his five talents, and he brought back five more. The two-talent guy, the same thing. So the message here is, it doesn't matter how much that God has given you, but it does matter how faithful you are with it, and he wants you to be faithful with all of it. But I've often thought of this. The five-talent guy is faithful. The two-talent guy is faithful. And the one-talent guy is not. Why does the Lord choose the one-talent guy to be the guy who's unfaithful? He's telling the story. And you, and you would have gotten the same exact point if it was the five-talent guy who was unfaithful. And the two-talent guy was faithful. And the one-talent guy was faithful. Why does he pick the one-talent guy to be unfaithful? I think the answer might be that the one talent guy is actually the most important. Well, how can that be? How can it be that the one talent guy is the most important? If the one talent guy is faithful, then the Lord has one additional talent. But if the five talent guy is faithful, the Lord has five additional. That means the five talent guy, he's got to be five times as important, right? Let's do a little survey. What is the talent? The talent is everything that you get. For most of us, that would be the income of our primary job. Maybe some of us have a couple jobs, I don't know. But whatever your salary is combined, that would be the talent. And so if we were to take a survey of a group like this, which is Sunday morning, I don't know how many people we have here. But let's say we had 100, because the math will be easier that way. We have more than 100, I think. But let's say we have 100, so the math will be easy. If you have 100 people in this room, 100 Christians trying to serve God, then about 80% of us will be making somewhere around the average of whatever this is. There might be one five-talent guy among us. Maybe there's two. But if you look at the statistics, there's not going to be more than that. Not, 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 over, not over a lar large area. And so, and so with the, with the two-talent guys, there might be you know, 7%, maybe up to 20%. But most of us are going to be making around the average. We might make maybe... 30% more than the average. We might be banking 30% less than the average, but we're going to be somewhere around there. That's the great majority of everybody in this room is going to be somewhere around there. By the way, I'm a one-talent guy. I'm probably a half-talent guy, actually. If I had to live in Vancouver, I don't know, British Columbia, I'd probably just be a half-talent guy. 
So, let's do the math again. If the five-talent guy is unfaithful, and let's say that there are two of them, then the Lord is out ten talents. If the two-talent guy is unfaithful, then the Lord is out maybe 14 to maximum 30 talents. But if the one-talent guy doesn't do what God wants him to do, if the one-talent guy says, yeah, but I'm so small, what difference is my talent going to make? No one's going to miss it if I'm unfaithful. I'm not the five-talent guy. I'm not the two-talent guy. Those guys are five times and twice as important as I am. But if every one-talent guy has that mentality, the work of the Lord stops. The work of the gospel runs on one-talent guys. It works on one-talent guys saying, I might be a one-talent guy, but God's got all my talent. And we make those decisions by the Spirit of God to not look at the smallness of what we can individually do, but look at the bigness of our God and say how amazing He is and how awesome He is and how He can take the small things of this world and do great things with them. God's in the business of taking our small and making it big. Little kid in the region of Galilee. He's there on a day, it's a nice day, next to the uh, Sea of Galilee. There's a man there, and he's got a big crowd of people around him, and they've been there for a long time. And they're hungry. And they start to talk about, what can we do? And that little kid has the audacity <laughs> to come up with his lunch. Two fishes, five loaves. And these loaves aren't like loaves of bread that you'd buy at Walmart. They're like biscuits. They're small. And he says, I know this isn't much. But if you can use it, God, you can have it. And God takes that two fishes and five loads. And he feeds 5,000 people with it. He does way more with it than that kid could have ever done himself. But he did it because that kid did not despise the day of small things. He didn't look at his little and discount it as unimportant. But the Holy Spirit moved in his heart, and he, and he said, okay, I'll give it if God wants to do it. I know the math doesn't work. I know the math is ridiculous. I know it doesn't look like it would even make any kind of a difference. A teenager in a valley there in Israel, there's a man blaspheming his God. This man is huge. He's been trained how to kill people from his childhood. And not only that, 
And that would make him a, a, enough of an opponent that he should be able to destroy. He's, he's a seasoned soldier. Any seasoned soldier should be able to uh, take out this little teenager. But this guy's not any soldier. He's the biggest soldier most of us would have ever seen in our lives up front. He's gigantic. He's powerful. And all he's been doing his entire life has been dedicated to killing other people. But he's blaspheming their God. And the army of Israel is impudent before him because of a lack of faith. Because they all despise the day of small things. They all look at what they can bring to the battle. And they compare it to the mountain of the man. And they say, I don't see how God can do this. And so they don't go forward when Goliath tells them and mocks them and, and blasphemes their God. And they all stay hidden and hiding. But a little teenager, he comes up and he says, yeah, there's no way I should be able to beat this guy. But I can't let my God be mocked like this. He says, is there not a cause? And he goes up before David, and God delivers Goliath into his hand. Because a little teenager didn't despise the day of small things. I could go on and on and on. <laughs> Read your Bible. Story after story after story. Jochebed does a little act of rebellion against a wicked law. And out of that little act of rebellion against a wicked law and a wicked ruler to kill an innocent baby, God delivers a nation out of the most powerful empire in the world. When mankind needs salvation, God doesn't send an army. God sends a baby and destroys the work of Satan through the sacrifice of one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. God is in the business of making our small big. But if we're not filled with the Spirit of God, we'll look at our small and we'll despise it. And we'll think that it's not enough. Because technically, if we do the math, it isn't. But it is enough for our God to use. What we need to do is stop looking at our small and start looking at his big. If you're here today, and you don't know for sure that if you died that you go to heaven... The gospel is a very simple and small story. <laughs> Jesus Christ, one man, gave his life. He lived, the, he lived the life no one could live, sinless. You and I can't do that. I'm a sinner. So are you. But Jesus, being God in the flesh, never sinned. And when he gave himself on the cross to pay for our sins, he was completely able to do that because he had, he had never sinned. If you're here today and you're trusting anything else besides Jesus' death on the cross to completely pay for all of your sins, then you need to do that. 
It's a small act, but it will change your eternity. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.